0: get closer, so I walked on over, sat down and asked her, her name, when the drinks finally hit her, she said I'm no quitter, but I finally quit living on dreams, I'm hungry for laughter and here ever after, I'm after whatever the other life brings. Gracious and ghoulish greetings to every single one of you. Thank you so very much for stopping by and making Paranormal Prouders podcast part of your day. Those tunes you just heard are courtesy of the amazing Bobby Mackey, and as always, I am your host, Tessa Morrow. Today we find ourselves in the land of enchantment. We will be visiting two different locations in New Mexico. The first one will take us to a cemetery in a ghost town called Dawson. It's been abandoned since 1950, located in the hills not too terribly far from Cimarron, which will take us to our second location. While the only ones left here are the restless spirits, back in the day, Dawson was quite the booming mining town, and around 9,000 people called it home. And actually, in the 1920s, Dawson was one of the biggest towns that New Mexico had to offer. While the main topic is Dawson Cemetery, the town's history itself is pretty remarkable. In the early 1900s, mines, well, they're purchased, and I mean several of them, by Phelps Dodge Corporation. Ten mines, referenced to as Stag Canyon number one and so on, or Dawson Mine number one or so on. <laughs> and it doesn't take long for Dawson to attract attention by becoming the largest coal mining operation in New Mexico, going from basically nothing to a booming mining town with 10 mines, a liquor store, a post office, schools, even having its own newspaper, and much, much more. The mines here obviously benefited the locals and helped the economy, People were moving here from not only all over the United States, but other countries as well. Many of the miners were recent immigrants coming from Italy, Poland, Mexico, Germany, China, Finland, Britain, Greece, Sweden, and so many others. Things were going wonderful. The miners enjoyed what they did and Phelps Dodge went out of their way to ensure the safety of their employees. October 20th, 1913, New Mexico mine experts, they come over and visit the Dawson Mines. Specifically mine number two. And they're quite impressed with how modern the equipment is, the safety measures that are being taken, and so on. Their report reads, quote, Stag Canyon number two was totally free from traces of gas and in splendid general condition. Unquote. Two days later, a catastrophic event occurs that changes the town of Dawson forever. October 22nd. 1913. An explosion takes place in one of the mines. It will claim more than 250 precious miners' lives that day. The blast rocks the entire town of Dawson and the surrounding areas. It occurs in Stag Canyon Number 2, where the mine experts were just two days earlier. A dynamite charge, which was prohibited in the Dawson Mines, by the way, ignites coal dust that had settled long ago. Around 285 men, including at least two rescuers, died that day. 23 were saved by rescuers. During the time that this happened, it was considered the second worst mining disaster in mining history. The next several days and weeks devastated family and friends. They buried their loved ones. Row upon row upon row, they line the Dawson Cemetery's hillside. Each grave of the person that died in the mining accident has a white iron cross. Now, unfortunately, due to the explosion, it was hard, if not impossible, to identify the bodies. So most of these are unmarked graves. Many never recover from this horrific event, and who can blame them? They're still numb and grieving as the years go on. Women missing their husbands. Children yearning to hear their father's voice just one more time. And so on. Well, fast forward 10 years later, actually less than 10 years later, the beginning of February of 1923. Tragedy strikes again. This time in Stag Canyon, mine number one when an ore cart jumps the tracks, and this ignites the coal dust that had collected in the mine. Two workers managed to jump out of the way to much-needed safety. The other workers, 123, are not so fortunate. More white crosses join the others that were put there nine and a half years earlier. Widows who once buried their husbands are now burying their sons daughters who had to say goodbye to their fathers now bit of final farewell to their brothers their uncles and so on two horrible tragedies so many deaths so few survivors how can this happen in a sweet place like dawson it's it's unthinkable it's unfathomable how much more can this community take Phelps Dodge Corporation was beyond devastated at the loss of life, obviously. They truly did care for their workers and treated them like family and spared no expense for their men and their families when they first bought the mines. They built their miners large homes that would accommodate them and their families. They would construct many things for the people, including the four-story brick Phelps Dodge Mercantile Department Store where locals could get Fresh baked goods, groceries, clothing, jewelry, furniture, hardware, basically anything you needed, they had it. A hospital was also built and had five doctors at the ready. They also wanted to make sure their workers had fun while not working their asses off in the mines. They enjoyed a good time as well. They had access to a gorgeous golf course, a movie theater, a lodge hall, and even an opera house. And so much more. And in addition to all this, they had a steam-powered electric plant, which powered, obviously, Dawson, but also nearby towns like Raton and the mining town Walsenburg, a place where my family came from, part of my family anyway, and where I have land and a sweet little barn. My great-grandfather, well, he was actually a coal miner there at Walsen camp. So, really cool stuff. Jumping back to Dawson, a newspaper article discusses the most recent explosion, that being the 1923 explosion, where 123 people had died. Quote, A terrific explosion that rocked the workings of coal mine number one of the Phelps Dodge Corporation here entombed 122 miners working inside. The explosion occurred at 2.30 in the afternoon and tore away all the heavy concrete work at the mouth of the mine entry. Within a short time after the blast, rescue workers had cleared the debris from the mouth of the mine, and a rescue crew, led by D.W. Brennan, general manager of the mine, entered. The imprisoned miners were about 5,000 feet from the portal of the mine." And it wasn't just explosions. In 1903, ten years before the first explosion, A fire breaks out in mine number one. During this fire, several explosions happen, and sadly, three miners do pass away. But, amazingly enough, 500 managed to escape. With over 32 million tons of coal being extracted from the mines, Dawson sure had a ton to offer. But... Things begin to simmer down, and Phelps Dodge pulls the plug and shuts down the mine, which basically means the death of Dawson. The town that was once drawing people in from so many different countries is now completely abandoned and is added to the list of the growing ghost towns. But before you plan a trip out that way, I have seen that you cannot actually go to the town of Dawson itself. I believe like one or two buildings still do exist and they are privately owned and there's a gate kind of separating the public from the town. So it's kind of like a no trespassing thing, but you can still go to Dawson Cemetery. So still worth the trip out that way, which I plan to do the summer or fall as it's like two hours away from where I'm at. And I did read somewhere that there's one road in and out of Dawson, a narrow dirt road, which kind of dead ends, if you will, at the cemetery. Legends of America gave a great directions for those like me with intentions on going. So you take highway 64 Northeast from Cimarron for about like 10 miles to the old Dawson road, just North of the old ghost town of Colfax. You turn left for about five miles on a dirt road, a locked gate prohibits access to the old town site of Dawson, and the cemetery is just to the right. So in 1991, 41 years after being abandoned, long since forgotten, Dawson comes back into the spotlight when two brothers are passing through. They are on a metal detecting trip and come upon this forgotten gem of a cemetery. The resting place for all those miners that died decades earlier. The following year of the brothers' visit, the cemetery lands in the Register of Historic Landmarks and as it should be. When you go there, a sign greets you saying, quote, official scenic historic marker. Dawson Cemetery contains approximately 600 marked burials in three sections that date from 1906 until 1950. The largest section, approximately 360 burials, is enclosed with iron pipe fencing and contains the graves of miners killed in two major explosions in 1913 and 1923. Uniform rows of identical iron crosses mark these burials. North and east of the miners' section are the oldest graves dating back from 1906 to the late 1920s, the newest section on the south side contains 80 burials dating from the late 1920s through 1950, including New Mexicans who were killed in World War II. Unquote. During the day, it's a hidden gem of a cemetery, no doubt about it. At night, it comes alive, filled to the brim of paranormal activity. People have reported hearing moaning, crying, And voices. Many visitors have experienced a voice warning them that danger does lurk nearby. Probably kind of like a don't let what happened to me happen to you. Apparitions of miners have been seen roaming the grounds of the cemetery, still with their mining helmets on top of their heads. Some have seen lights bobbing about throughout the headstones. Many believe this to be the lamps that are in their helmets. (laughs) People have gotten EMF spikes and EVPs here and there, and some experience noticeable cold spots even on the toastiest of days. Some will see apparitions walking about and then vanish right before their very shock dies. Besides apparitions, people also have reported seeing mysterious patches of fog and mists and what have you. Just a few miles from the cemetery and the ghost town of Dawson, is the very historical and very haunted St. James Hotel. And this is our second location, located in the historic district of downtown Cimarron, New Mexico. Honest Abe's personal chef, a man named Henry Lambert, moves out west and settling in Elizabethtown, New Mexico, with hopes to find gold. And he does. He finds a little bit. But not much more comes from it, and he eventually opens up a saloon and a dining hall. He then finds himself 160 miles away in Cimarron, where he built and founded Lambert's Inn in 1872. This was the St. James Hotel's original name, Lambert's Inn. Guests coming and going included Buffalo Bill, who would meet Annie Oakley here and planned their Wild West show right there in the hotel. Buffalo Bill spent a lot of time here, and he was actually the godfather to Henry Lambert's son, Fred, who he taught to use guns. Fred would later become the Cimarron Sheriff, a member of the tribal police, and a territorial marshal from New Mexico. Uh-huh. And if that's not impressive enough, Fred was the youngest territorial marshal from New Mexico being sworn in at only 16 years old. Other notable visitors are Clay Allison. He was a Confederate and a vigilante involved in many lynchings. Black Jack Ketchum, who, as we know, his execution in New Mexico goes very bad when the hanging decapitates his head. Davy Crockett's outlaw relative, Who also shares the same name, Davy Crockett, who murdered three Buffalo soldiers, Privates George Small, John Hanson, and Anthony Harry at Lambert's. Billy the Kid, Pat Garrett, the lawman that killed Billy the Kid, war hero and Union General for the Civil War, Philip Henry Sheridan, Kit Carson, the James brothers, Jesse James and Frank James came here often as well. The man who betrayed Jesse's trust and murdered him, Bob Ford, frequented this location too. Jesse would come in many times and check in under the alias R.H. Howard. And he always stayed in the same room, room 14. The Earps and their wives stayed here for a handful of days. I believe it was like three or four days while making their way to Tombstone. And speaking of Tombstone, real quick, I just want to say that if you go to myheraldreview.secondstreetapp.com, and you have to spell second, go check it out. It's Best of Tombstone 2022, and be sure to vote for my good friends, Wyatt Earp's Oriental Saloon and Theater. The deadline ends July 24th. Lou Wallace wrote part of Ben-Hur here, and Zane Gray wrote Fighting Caravans here with so many colorful characters coming through here, it's not a shocker that there are some deaths that did take place here. In fact, it wasn't uncommon to hear locals say something to the effect of Who died at Lambert's today? There are at least 26 confirmed murders that have happened here. But the number, as we know, may be much higher than that. Even with the deaths, it was considered one of the most elegant hotels west of the Mississippi River. And this was the last location of its kind on the Santa Fe Trail. So it made quite a convenient location for people to stop, take a break from their travels. And I mean, boy, it was traveling different back then than it is today. And so many came through as we know that they actually expanded the business in 1880. Lambert's sons replaced the roof in 1901 and find well over 400 bullet holes in the ceiling above the bar. Lambert was prepared for this, and he actually had a double layer of heavy wood to prevent any of his guests sleeping above being killed by the rowdy ones below. To this day, you can still see 22 bullet holes in the ceiling above the dining room. Speaking of the dining room, this is where the 1873 saloon was and the original antique bar is actually still there. So a neat piece of history for sure to check out. And I want to talk about some of the rooms as if any of you paranormal fans or investigators plan to visit, you may want to request one of these specific rooms. Room number 17 is haunted by a female many believe to be the original owner's wife, Mary Lambert. Several have reported feeling her presence here. She watches over the hotel, a place that for a long time she considered home, as she did live here. She went into labor here and gave birth here. And in 1926, she died here. There is a perfume, the scent of roses, that is connected to Mary Lambert. And here's another thing. It's not just the rose-scented perfume. Many who have stayed in this room share that if they open up the window, they will hear a continuous tapping sound, and it will keep tapping until the window is closed. The apparition of a woman has been seen in the nearby hallway, and it's possibly Mary, might be somebody else, who knows. Another room that's worth mentioning is the Zane gray room. One past guest shared that they noticed a small mirror in the bathroom that continued to kind of just rock back and forth all by itself while nothing else in the room was being affected. This same individual shares quite an experience. They they say that they've stayed here several times and the last time stayed in the Zane gray room. This person wakes up to the sound of someone talking but he was told that he was the only guest staying there that evening. To him, it sounded like a card game was going on. So he quickly gets dressed and opens the room door and looks down the hallway where he sees a woman in 19th century period clothing holding a service tray. The guest makes his way to the poker room and hopes to possibly join in. And he sees three men also in period clothing. They are indeed playing poker and invite him to join. They let him know it's a $20 ante, but unfortunately that is all the man had on him, so he kindly declines. The next morning, as he is checking out, he asks the front desk clerk about last night's game and how it went. And he is told that there was no game and that he was the only guest on that floor. And while you can stay in these two rooms, the Zane Gray room and room 17, there is one room that is strictly off limits and even staff avoid it like the bubonic plague. Don't you dare touch me! Stand back! Room 18, kept under lock and key, not available to the public whatsoever. No hefty price tag or ass kissing can get you any access into this room. And I'm going to tell you why. One night long ago, it's said that a poker game was taking place. The owner thought he had a killer hand, totally unbeatable. He's feeling that poker high and he's excited and he puts the ownership of the hotel on the table, something that he would immediately regret. Almost everybody folds but one man. Unfortunately, the owner loses and a gentleman named Thomas James Wright wins the game and guess what? Yeah, the rights to the hotel. With plans to take care of the final details the next morning, Wright heads back to his room. He's on cloud nine, baby. He just won this hotel. How how lucky can he be? As he opens the door to his room, room 18, a loud sound deafens his ears. And he falls to the ground. Bloody hell, somebody has shot him. He drops to the ground and dies, I believe right there in the doorway of his room. Now, it's believed to be the most haunted room at St. James, and everyone, including staff, they avoid it. And apparently, after a violent encounter, it was permanently shut down to the public. To the eye, it looks like a typical little room. In it is a bed frame without the mattress, there's a rocking chair, a coat rack, and what seems to be a shrine dedicated to the Old West that we know and love. Wright is believed to haunt this room, full-heartedly haunt this room. And this murder victim is not a happy-go-lucky spirit. He is extremely aggressive and angry and has made it excruciatingly clear that he does not appreciate intruders invading his room. doesn't matter if you're a guest or the owner of the joint. You're an invader and you don't belong here. He probably has trust issues after being gunned down, and, I mean, who can blame him, really? Well, one past owner says that while in room 18, she's actually pushed to the floor, and there are several times where she had seen an orange ball of light floating in the upper corner. The owner talks about the hotel, specifically the notorious room 18, in a 1988 newspaper article, quote, Every time I went in that room, the hair on the back of my neck stood up, but I was determined that nothing was going to stand in my way of renovating. I was trying to be this self-sufficient woman, and I remember standing there with my hands on my hips and saying, if you want to be positive, you can stay, but if you want to be negative, you've got to go. In the same article, she shares an account that had to do with a surgeon visiting from California. After a short time of being there, he approaches her and lets her know that she has trouble brewing upstairs, and after some convincing, she finally allows him in room 18. She described the scene, quote, There was a presence whirling in the left corner near the ceiling, and it came down and knocked me to my knees. I got up and it came back and knocked me down again, unquote. The man requested she leave him in the room by himself for a little while, which she did, and he stayed for, I would say, an hour. When he saw her next, he warned her not to challenge the spirit. If you want to be negative, you've got to go. In an article coming from the Albuquerque Journal, it discusses how a local psychic was traveling one day, a day which happened to be Friday the 13th, to St. James, and while 40 or so miles away from the hotel, this woman was sensing an extremely strong spirit in room 18. She said, I'm getting this feeling, this impression that he's been injured or that he's in pain. On her arrival, after she's greeted by the owner, she puts some tobacco in a nearby potted plant as an offering to the spirits. The owner, Ed, lets her in room 18, and she said this I feel a terrible pain from him. He's wounded and he's unhappy. He's still locked into that timeless zone, a dimension. I don't know if there's a name for it, but he's locked in. And any time a new energy comes into this room, it's very threatening to him. He doesn't know that he's dead. And he that makes sense. He was shot, I believe, from behind. I mean, she believes a man named Walter was involved in rights untimely death. And on Halloween of 1991, the Clovis News Journal releases this statement, quote, room 18 closed to the public is hardly bigger than a walk-in closet, unquote. The owner, Ed, shares how two of his birds, who I believe were healthy, suddenly dropped dead immediately after he had shown a few people room 18. Now, the second floor is an area where people have experienced cold spots, and at times you may catch a phantom smell of cigar smoke. And yes, St. James is a no-smoking hotel. A past manager puts it nicely. You never see them, but you do feel and hear them. A former owner once saw an apparition of a cowboy standing behind her as she looked in the mirror in the bar area. St. James Hotel is home to several resident spirits. There is the spirit of a child named Johnny. Now, this is believed to be Mary and Henry Lambert's son. He is a sweet little rambunctious, mischievous child, and he enjoys running up and down the hallways. One eyewitness shared that they encountered the small child one time, about two years old. He had long gold curls and was wearing a long gown, and he was sitting at the bar just kind of spinning a little bottle. The person seeing this unattended child thinks it must be a guest's kiddo and tells the little boy to basically go back up to your room go back to your mommy and daddy this person noticed that there were burn marks all over his face and johnny jumps off the stool and vanishes into the floor word is that johnny lambert was running around one day and ran right into a person maybe a cook i don't know maybe it was a staff member in the kitchen Either way, this person was carrying a very large pot of piping hot food, which went all over the child, and he did, unfortunately, die from these injuries. And apparently, he has company, or maybe not. There are two little girls who are said to be in the hotel, believed to have died long ago in the late 1800s, but... They really don't like Johnny because he's like kind of just so out there and kind of mischievous and they're kind of more well-behaved and try to keep him in check, but I don't think that works. Items oftentimes will fall off the shelves. Actually, it's more like being thrown off the shelves by unseen hands. People experience the feeling of being watched and batteries are known to drain at a very quick pace. Lights have a mind of their own as they do turn on and off all by themselves. And I found a 1988 article about a former owner who turns off the lights, goes outside, looks back into the hotel, and notices through a window that, hey, the lights are on. I just turned those off. It was dark when I closed that door. She turns them back on, goes back outside, and yeah, you guessed it, they're on again. This is possibly believed to be the resident spirit of a man named Woody, a short white-haired, pockmarked man. And in another article, I mean, they made several different newspaper articles, and there were so many, and I'm just reading a handful of them. But here is yet another account, and this one is for the books. Quote, I came in through these double doors, and I heard a party going on. And I kid you not, I could hear people talking. I could hear glasses clinking. I thought, oh, now you've really done it. You've finally flipped now as she walks towards the unexplained sounds they began to kind of die off and stop she looks around and the place is utterly empty she says quote, i turned and said i'm glad you're having a good time i'm glad you're here for a party please leave everything as good as you found it if not better and as she walked away the sounds they started up again Forever partying. I love it. Other paranormal happenings include things disappearing and being found later on in completely different areas than they were last seen. I mean areas that they simply do not belong in, that they should not be there. There's a resident spirit who's on the mischievous side who may be behind some of those disappearances of the items. A spirit of an old man that staff call Little Imp. He takes pleasure in playing tricks on people, a prankster without a cause. He once sat on a bar stool and laughed at an employee as he was cleaning the area. Speaking of employees, I did see an article in the Sangre de Cristo Chronicle detailing five accounts of who I believe to be workers or former workers of the St. James. One woman shares that the original owner's wife, Mary Lambert, besides leaving behind the rose perfume that we know about, She is known to also steal makeup from visitors. Another woman shared that while working, the faucet in the sink turned on by itself. And as the house cleaners, they, you know, the housekeepers, they're kind of finishing up for the day. They turn off the lights and lock up. When they came back the following morning, the lights were back on. And several of the room doors, well, they were open. One guy shares that two employees were having an argument in the kitchen when out of nowhere, this knife flies out of a bucket and into the ground between the two men. And let's just say that they were not fighting anymore. One employee went to go show two guests the wait Phillips room and the master key was not wanting to cooperate whatsoever. She jimmies it back and forth and nothing. She said, It suddenly slammed against the frame as though someone from the inside was pushing it. We thought someone was in the room, but upon checking, no one had booked it. Believing someone was there that should not be, I marched back to the door, This time when she uses the key, the door opens with no problem whatsoever, not the slightest of hesitation, and guess what? The room is empty. No one was there. And the last encounter shared in that article is about a guy who leaves the bar after cleaning up. One of the things he did was out of the was put the chairs under the bar and the tables. And when he came back, like three or four hours later, the chairs they're all pulled out as if people were sitting in them. And kitchen staff and bartenders they report about food and kitchen equipment disappearing. Witnesses also see glassware that will levitate and then fall to the ground. And Before I end this, I will leave you with two more encounters when it comes to the paranormal. One comes from an employee who, while at the front desk in the lobby, hears a high-pitched shriek. The person looks around to find not a single person around where the shriek came from. On the opposite side of the lobby are three guests, and it's obvious that they didn't hear the shriek. The final story is from a paranormal investigator who is staying there with his wife. He was sleeping when he was suddenly touched on the back. He looks over and his wife is nowhere close to him and she verifies that she had not touched him. She then herself feels invisible fingers gliding over her hand. This was in the Mary Lambert room, so number 17. They also heard a scream coming within the room and in one of his pictures that he took, a face is looking back at him. So if you're in the New Mexico area and want to go do some investigating, go check out the Dawson Cemetery and the St. James Hotel. That's what I plan on doing. I think I'll take a drive to Dawson Cemetery, do some exploring, pay my respects to the miners who were killed in those horrific blasts, and then stay the night at St. James Hotel. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Yes! Listen to the others. They're all awesome. Haven't heard every single one yet? Well, there's no need to cry. Seriously, just head on over to any of those awesome podcast platforms such as Google Podcasts, Spotify, Player FM, Apple Podcasts. Basically, wherever you may roam... To listen to your other phenomenal podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Paralysis podcast lurking in the background. This week's special city shout-outs go to Windham, New Hampshire, Buenos Aires, Argentina, Buffalo, New York, Central Point, Oregon, and Wellington, New Zealand. Thank you so much for stopping by Obviously, it's greatly appreciated. You guys are all so phenomenal, and we will see you next week.